So we're in week two of our series that's called Rerouting. Uh, lessons learned from traveling the ancient world, if you will. And uh, last week we traveled with Adam and Eve. We saw how they um, sinned against God, how he rerouted them after that sin, how he loved them, how he cared for them continually. This week we're going to travel, if you will, with Abram and Lot. And uh, we're even going to come near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to talk about that. But in that vein of traveling, I have to let you know, in full disclosure, if you really want to, uh, well, if you want to get in a fight with me, here's the, best way to, here's the best way to do it, okay? When I ask you directions, and I say, hey, how do you get to X? And you start out giving me directions to a place, and you say something like this, well, when you stop at the light, you're going to head east. And then for a little while, you're going to go, and at the next turn, you're going to go north, and then you're going to go west, and then you're going to go, look, do I look like Lewis and Clark? Am I wearing a raccoon skin hat? No, I'm not. Do I, do I take a left or do I take a right? It's simple. God gave these to us for a reason. It's all you, left, right, or straight. It's straight, left, right. It's easy. It's not hard. All this east and west and stuff. Look, I'm, I'm not out here traveling around looking for constellations and stuff. That's just... Tell me which way do I turn. It's not how I work. My mind, I just can't even get there. Look, I don't mind if you want to throw in some landmarks. You know, you go up past the Burger King, take the first right, and you'll come in right behind Target. Boom, I got that, okay? All right? <laughs> Who doesn't know where the Longhorn is? <laughs> just saying. It's not that hard. Some landmarks are helpful. And we're in the South, so you can put in the landmarks like, you're going to go down this road, and you're going to see a torn down tree next to an old house that burned out. You're almost there. You know, that's, so I work that way. I can handle that. You know, even before we had our phones and our, our smart cars with their computers in the dash and, and maps, even, even back in the day, the maps, I talked about maps last week, you could never get them refolded, so you just threw them in the back seat, or at least that's what my dad did. Um, men and women navigated around the globe by finding fixed points and deciding the direction based on these fixed points, Okay. The, 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 the magi, the wise men who came to, to follow the star, it was a fixed point. Um, namely, that fixed point was Polaris, or the North Star. It appeared to not move, and since they could spot it in the same place every evening, they were able to then determine the direction based on that fixed point. I am not those people, okay? I look up, I think the stars are pretty, I think they're amazing, I think our universe is vast and awesome, but I'm not the guy to go, North Star, da, da. Uh-uh. If I see the North Star, I go, wow, that's beautiful. Do I turn left or right? <laughs> you know? I, so here's the thing. I say all that to say, if there's not a fixed point, though, and, and I understand the concepts of it, it just, it just doesn't resonate well with me, but if there's not a fixed point, there's no way to know where you're actually going. All right? Well, even if it's just from point A to point B, you still have to know where you're going. Um, and when it comes to what we're going to talk about today, or really it when it comes to any point where culture and the Bible collide, our postures, our stance should be that we are keeping our eyes on, on the North Star. We are, we are keeping our eyes on God because He doesn't change. There's no variation in Him. He is the same today as He was a thousand years ago. He's the same today, tomorrow, and, and in the future. You see, He just has no variation. We, however, have lots of variation. We call it progress. We like to talk about our progress, and I think it's a strange word to use for what we see unpacking in our world and in our culture today, because when I look around at progress, sometimes I think it, 
it seems as violent and broken as it ever has been. There's nothing new under the sun. We've got, even these old-time diseases are starting to, to ravage the world again, are starting to pop up and come back around. We treat each other the same way that we treated each other hundreds, even thousands of years ago. Back then they called it slavery. Today it's called human trafficking. It's at an all-time high. We just use people and we just toss them to the side like they're worthless when we're done. We can't trust the people we've asked to represent us and our government to be above reproach. Racial prejudices run rampant in all directions in our culture today. But we say that's in the name of progress. We call that progress. What a joke. See, as our world continues towards its progress, I'm going to keep my eyes on the North Star. No matter what anyone else chooses to do, I choose to honor God. He is my fixed point. That's what Abram said. When God called him, he said, he said, God is my fixed point. No matter how lost or confused or turned around I get, there's no variation in God. And he's going to redirect us. He's going to reroute us. That's where we need to fix our eyes. That's where our hope is. That's the purpose of this series on rerouting. I think you'll find as we walk through this series that God not only rerouted individuals and changed their hearts like Adam and Eve, there are even times when he rerouted whole cities, whole nations even, Today we're going to discuss one of those times when he rerouted a couple of cities with vengeance. Yes, I'm going to preach about Abram and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. For many of us, much of what we're going to cover today will seem absurd. You just can't wrap your mind around what it is to live in a place like Sodom and Gomorrah. But for others in this room, it's going to hit on a real struggle, on real life circumstances where maybe the people we love uh, are invested or, or involved in those things. And so we need to be really, really careful here as we move forward, because we need to guard our, our thoughts, our jokes, our snickers, or whatever we may feel, because a lot of times as Christians, we feel things are absurd that aren't absurd at all to others. I'll say this too, as we get into this rerouted series over the next few months, we're going to talk a lot about different people that let God down. And some of those people are going to be like, how could they do that? Even last week, we, in our CPR group, we talked about um, Adam and Eve, God, they walked with God, how could they in God's presence, turn and, and eat from that tree. How could they do that? It's easy for us to, to judge their sin. But no matter what we're talking about, what topic we're talking about, if the church must be anything, if the bride of Christ must be anything, she must be a safe place for the broken, for the alone, for the gender confused, for, for people who are sexually broken. She must be a safe place for those who maybe are just now hearing the word of God for the first time. The church needs to be a safe place for people who are dealing with the sins in their life, whether it's sin of addiction or just that they did something dumb the day before. Folks, we're a hospital for spiritually broken people. We are not called to be a guarded sanctuary for saints. If the bride of Christ is not safe for that, then we do not believe our own message. And so before we judge Adam and Eve too harshly, how dumb were they? Before we throw out negative thoughts and giggles about those people who would live in cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, we need to remember we're all broken. We're all in need of salvation. We're all in need of God's grace. And, and to take a particular struggle and put it outside the bounds of God's grace because it makes us uncomfortable reveals that we don't quite understand what it is we believe. And what I'm getting at is this. We'll take other people's sins more seriously than we'll take our own sins and struggles. It's easier for me to throw my rocks at your house than mine. Friends, 
for people who've been called to follow Jesus Christ, people who've been called to be changed by Jesus, people who've been called to be on mission with Jesus, that's a wicked thought that we're going to take someone else's sins more seriously than our own. And some of what we're going to look at today might just not make sense to you. You just can't wrap your mind around it. And I promise you, it's not, it's not that way. It's not absurd for everyone that will hear this message. That being said, let's get into God's Word. Let's see what we can glean from Genesis chapter 13. We're going to set right up in, in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. And, and just so you know, this whole story goes for like six chapters. It goes for a long time, this concept of, of Abram and Lot and all this stuff that God is talking about. And so it, it travels through many chapters. Today I'm going to look at chapter 18, and a little while later I'm going to kind of make, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to look at chapter 13, and a little while later I'm going to make some summaries uh, from some later chapters. So I want to encourage you this week to, to jump in and read this uh, about Abram and God and Lot and, and this whole story, because it's really amazing what God does. Here we go, Genesis 13, uh, chapter 8, or chapter, yeah, Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. I'll get it out here in just a second. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And that's, that's referring back to when God first called Abram. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's lot, of Abram's lot, yes, of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. Everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11 says, So Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. He took a left. Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. That is not a title that you want to have in your name. But the men were sinners, great sinners, wicked against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are. See, God should have said left and right forward and behind, but instead he said northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, 
I love this statement right here. He says, Arise and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are the Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So, Abraham and Lot, Abraham, God called Abram, and he said, hey, I want you to go into a land, I will show it to you, and, and while you journey on this, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be the father of many children, many nations. And, and he took Lot with him, and they've traveled around, they've come somewhere close to where they started, um, and so their journey probably looks kind of like that first arrow, that kind of does a loop, and, and then swings back around, but they, they, they do that. And they stay together this whole time. And, and as they're doing this, Lot is, being, is, is, is obtaining his own wealth. And so Abraham, Abram and Lot, uh, at this point, go their separate ways. But did you see some of the distinctions in the two directions? Do you see the difference between the two locations? Lot moves into the valley, sets up camp near Sodom. And the Bible says the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. After Lot left Abram, God repeats to Abram the blessings that he told him. When he called him away from his father's land, he said, wherever you look, wherever you go, I will give you that land. Also, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. He repeats that promise, that blessing, that covenant. It's interesting to me that one of them chooses to move kind of away from that true north. Lot. Lot chooses to, to move toward those who despise God. And we say, well, he's not living in Sodom. He's not living in that city. He just moved near it. And you're right, for the moment, he moved near it. The other chooses to stay near God. Abraham, Abram uh, chooses to stay near God. And this whole situation is being set up because they ran out of, of what, well, they thought they ran out of land. But God just said to Abram, wherever you look, I'm going to give you that land. Wherever you walk, I'm going to give you that land. And so for the moment, they're kind of crowded, and they think they're running out of land, and then Lot's herdsmen and, and, and Abram's herdsmen, they, the kids couldn't get along, so to speak, like one of those long family trips. That's what's happening here. And it was time to start separating and putting kids in the back seat and the front seat and things like that. And so I think the lesson that we can learn here is about unity and living well together in the community with one another that God has put us in. But like in most situations... We see here selfishness and pride tend to get in the way. Things seem to be going well for Lot and his family, though. He's living outside of Sodom, and, and he's in that area, and, and he, he's, he's engaging fairly well. Uh, scripture tells us that his daughters find nice young men that they become engaged to, to be married to them. Um, but eventually, Lot and his family no longer live outside of Sodom. They move in to Sodom. See, it's, it's kind of what we do. We'll, we'll come to the edge of something and go... Man, that looks tempting. I'll take a little step back. And, oh, well, that's not too bad. Oh, look at that. Oh, my toe's hanging over the edge. How much farther can I go? Now, I have a fake hip, so I'm not going to test my luck, because if I end up down there, it's over. You guys are going to lunch. I'm going to the hospital. Point is, that's what we do. We see this pit, and it looks fun from a distance. It even looks like, it's just like when we were kids, and you're putting ramps together with your bicycle, and you're like, I can jump that. And then as you approach it, you're like, no, I can't. And you fall over before you ever get there. That's what's happening here. Lot moves in. He's got this great valley. He's like, oh, it's lush. There's all this stuff. He's got all his herds and everything down here doing his thing. And he's right next to Sodom. And then pretty soon he's in Sodom. And he doesn't just live at the edge. He lives in town. He's surrounded his family with these people. He went from where he was surrounded by 
Abram, his family, who was, who was being led personally by God, he went from there to, I'm going to go over here, okay? He moves into the city probably thinking, well, it's, it's got walls and it's got a gate and it's going to be a little more protected than being out in the plains just outside of the city, so it's a good move. But over the next few chapters, and, and that equates to a couple of years, in Genesis, as you read about Abram and Lot, many things happen. Um, the, the city of Sodom, of Sodom gets, um, gets, gets into war, and Lot and his family get taken by another king. And so what does Abram do when he finds out about it? He sends his fighting men, and they go save Lot, and they bring him back. And Lot says, thanks for saving me, and guess what Lot does? He goes back to Sodom. <laughs> he goes back. So there's all these different things happen. And we end up in chapter 19 in Genesis. And I'm going to summarize this a little bit, so make sure you read it. And, and Lot and his family take in two mysterious visitors to the city of Sodom. Now, what Lot doesn't know is that, that these visitors were sent by God, that they talked with Abram, and they'd given Abram a blessing of their first child. Sarah laughed. Sarai laughed um, because she didn't believe it because she was old. And, and then, at the same time, they looked down on Sodom and said, it is so vile, God's going to destroy it. And Abram has this conversation well, what if there's some good in Sodom? And he starts throwing out these different numbers. He, he does that thing, again, it's kind of like what we do, you know. Hey, can I have $10? No. Can I have $9? No. Can I have $8? No. Can I have $7? No. And finally your kid whittles you down to like, can I have a dollar? Fine. Just here's a dollar. Go away. All right. And so, so this is kind of how I see this play out in my mind. And so Abram's talking and he's, he's asking, he gets all the way down. Hey, if there's 50 good people, would you spare I would spare for 50. How about 10? Would you spare for 10? The sad thing is, in the city of Sodom, according to God, there wasn't 10 good people. He spared Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. He would have spared, I believe, Lot's two son-in-laws, but when Lot went to talking with them, they thought that he was just joking. But here's what happened. So the Bible tells us that that these men, they, they come into the city of Sodom. And as they come through the gate, Lot says to them, hey, come stay at my house. And they were like, no, no, we're going to stay. We're going to stay down here on the square. We're going to stay by ourselves. Lot's like, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> come, come stay at my house and I'll feed you and, and we'll, you know, you can rest well. So they come and they stay at his house. And while they're in Lot's house, these men of the city, and the Bible says all the men of Sodom go to Lot's house and they start banging on the doors. And they ask him to turn the strangers over to them. And, and the Bible says that they may know them. You see, their intent was to rape these men who came to visit at Lot's house. And Lot refused, and the townsmen threatened his family. The townsmen are banging on like all sides of his house. They're trying to break in. It's getting real crazy as you read about it. But here's kind of a cool thing. These visitors strike the townsmen blind so they can't see anything. And so now they're all like, hey, where did everybody go? And they're still trying to find them, but they can't because they can't see. They're running into each other, and it's just pandemonium. And then these men pull Lot back into his house, and they say, hey, it's time to go. And they said, you need to go. And again, this, this whole story, there's this, and this God's rerouting them to somewhere that's safe. And, and even Abram and Lot, both to a point, are asking God to, to kind of renegotiate things. And they say, hey, you're going to go way over there. And Lot says, I'll never make it. Can I go to this city? It's a little bit closer. And they said, fine. Get your family. Go to that city. As soon as you're at that city, we are destroying this city. And so Lot and his family 
And he pleaded with his sons-in-laws, please come with me, come with me. The Bible says they thought he was kidding them. Okay? It's the only time that they talk about Lot where they're like, they thought he was kidding. I can't imagine if someone were to come to you and go, hey, 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 pack up, we got to go now. Bad things are coming. You're so silly. <laughs> it's like, do you not see all these men were struck blind? <laughs> That's, something bad's coming. They wouldn't leave. So Lot, and actually, these two visitors took Lot and his family and walked them out of Sodom and put them on their way. And they said, don't look back, just go. And, and as they were approaching, they were safely approaching the town that they were given as a safe haven, God begins to destroy Sodom because of their wickedness. And, and it, as, as the Bible says that fire and brimstone are raining down, and Lot's wife turned back to look towards Sodom, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Here's my recap for you. God called Abram specifically to follow him. If you're here today, and you've heard everything I just said, I want you to know God is calling you specifically to follow him. Just like with Abram, though. God's path is narrow. And when some of Abram's family, Lot, namely, chose the wide path, they, as well as Sodom and Gomorrah, were rerouted, even at the loss of Lot's wife. The issue is this. The warning is this. This is what happens when we stray from God's path. When you're traveling as a Christian along with God and we stray from God's path, this is what happens. God is indeed our fixed point. He is our true north. And when we go the wrong way, rerouting is necessary. And sometimes rerouting comes with discipline. Sometimes rerouting hurts. It's not as nice as your, your GPS. When possible, make a U-turn. Now, sometimes God is like, hey, stop! And it hurts. Sometimes there's loss when God reroutes us. But when we go the wrong way, rerouting is necessary. You see, God in His love, in His wisdom, and even sometimes in His wrath has rerouted whole nations. Sodom and Gomorrah are just a small example of that. Look at, at how He rerouted the nation of Egypt. He wiped out the whole army using water. Look at how He, he rerouted Nineveh. It was a little, a little nicer way. But He rerouted Nineveh. And you're going to hear about that later on next month. But God in His love and His wisdom and sometimes His wrath will reroute us. Now, here's the other thing. You may not agree with God's tactics. You may not agree with His discipline. I've yet to meet a child who has said with their parent, I agree 100% with that method of discipline for this happening to me. I did this... Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we had some simple rules in our house. All right? The the punishment fit the crime. If Dylan said something or or did something with his mouth, it got washed out with soap. If he hit someone, his mama punched him right back. Uh I'm kidding, that did not happen. <laughs> but it was it was agreed upon that it wouldn't be done in anger, but he did. He got himself smacked on the butt a few times. And there were other lessons with grace. <laughs> Yeah, the Mickey Mouse soap. Don't ever wash your kid's out with, mouth out with Mickey Mouse soap because it had a little Mickey Mouse on it. And he was like, oh, that doesn't taste too bad. 
It's not candy, it's soap, it's punishment. I took care, I rerouted him, I got a different bar of soap. Yeah. Kid, my point is kids don't, they don't agree with the discipline that's given to them at that time. What do you mean you're going to ground me from my iPad or you're going to take my car keys? Oh, we just entered, we just entered that world. You lose driving privileges. Dun, dun, dun. Nobody agrees with discipline. That's why they call it discipline. You may not understand his ways. You may not understand God's decrees. You may not understand why he declares one thing detestable and another thing holy. But I can tell you this, as we travel with God, I think there are going to be times when the Word of God is going to challenge us. You're going to read things in the Word of God, and it might even grate on you a little bit. You might just go, oh, there's just no way that can happen. The reality is this, God calls men to be more than what they want to be. And He calls women the same way. He calls us to be more than what we want to be. He calls us to be more than what we see that we can be in ourselves. And when God calls us to be a reflection of Him, when God calls us to follow Him, He doesn't need us to change the path. He doesn't need us to find our own way to fulfill His promise for us, Abram. That's one of the things Abram did. God promised, hey, you're going to be a father of many nations. You're going to have many children. If you can count the dust, you can count your kids. He's 99 years old. 98, something like that. And he's like, his wife is like, hey, you don't have no kids. Where's this promise? You're getting old, dude. He says, here, take my handmaiden. He has a baby with another woman because he thinks he's fulfilling this prophecy that God gave. God gave him the prophecy. He didn't need Abram to fulfill it. And it wasn't until later, Abram said, he said to Abram, at 99, you're going to have a baby now. Abram's like, well, that wasn't my plan. God said, no, that was my plan from the very beginning. You messed it up. I had to reroute you. You see, when God calls us to be a reflection of him, when he calls us to follow him, he doesn't need us to change a path. He doesn't need us to tell him, tell him how we're going to go do it. When we travel with God, we're going to find many times that we need to lean heavily into his grace because we're going to find that our God is going to call us into some spaces that sometimes feel awkward or uncomfortable. Spaces we would rather not be in. Sarai did not desire to be 100 years old and barren. It's exactly in those spaces, though, that our confidence in God should soar. What kind of God would He be if He only said things that you liked and only did things that you agreed with? He'd be no God at all. You would be the God. In that same way, no loving parent always just says yes to whatever their children want. When you do that, you create undisciplined, rude little jerks if you do that. And nobody wants to graze undisciplined, rude little jerks. Dylan, say amen. I've always told, he, I got one, one thing I've always said to Dylan, a couple things. One of them is this. My prayer for him is that he would, he would grow up to be the greatest man of God for his generation. That's it. And that he would not be a jerk. It's pretty simple. Thank you. He gets that part from his mama. When we, God gives us free will. That's a glorious and a dangerous gift. But as we follow him freely, we must also allow for his rerouting when we need it. It's always for his glory, and it's always for our good. I don't know what that looks like for you today, to travel the path that God has laid out for you, but I pray that you will do just that. So as we come to our response time this morning, consider Abram and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, and consider your own relationship with God. 
Because wherever you're at, it's time to make sure that He is your true north, no matter what it takes. Consider these things as we sing our response song. Will you allow God to reroute you in His love? Will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to His words accordingly?